Welcome to Between the Before and After, a podcast about the stories that shape us. I'm your host, Coach John McLernan, and each episode, I bring you an inspiring guest with a moving story that shines a light on the power of the human spirit. Before we dive in, I want to let you know about two very important things. Number one, the stories shared here are often gritty, raw, and vulnerable, and very likely will include speaking about sensitive topics suited for a mature audience. Number two, this podcast is also broadcast live on YouTube, Twitch, Twitter, LinkedIn, and Facebook. So on whatever platform you follow myself or Freedom Nutrition Coaching, you have the opportunity to participate in this discussion. You can comment on the live stream, and we encourage your participation both by commenting and asking questions. So this podcast is about exploring the stories that take place between the before and after photos, not just in the realm of weight loss, but in all areas of life. So let's dive in. All right, we are live, and I'm back with a special guest who is across the pond, as we like to say. <laughs> uh, he might talk a little bit funny, but I think we're going to be able to understand him. So. <laughs> yeah, I'm not only just from the UK, I'm northern as well, so you get that extra element of complication to deal with. <laughs> yeah, it's it's like, not. do you ever get asked if you're Scottish? Uh, no, <laughs> not quite that far up, but uh, I think there's been a few times Americans have questioned whereabouts I'm actually from. But yeah. <laughs> but yeah, that's awesome, man. Well, I always like to break the ice with a with a random question here from my deck of 150 journaling prompts. So you're never you're not sure what you're going to get, but we have categories one to six. So if you could choose a number between one and six, and we'll see what you get. Let's go, let's go with four then. Let's go with four. With four, all right. Relationships. Write about the last time, or actually, in this case, speak about the last time you apologized for something you did. Um. Well. For that, it was um, not not too long ago. To be honest, I was um, I was me and my me and my girlfriend. We uh, eat, eat a vegan diet, and she does a lot more of the cooking. She's a lot more adventurous than I am, and okay, um, uh, she tends to just do the cooking, and I'm like the sous chef. And, okay, <laughs> and I wasn't I wasn't cooking things particularly. I wasn't cutting things particularly to her standards, so I had to I had to apologize for for that. And I think I may have burnt <laughs> burnt the garlic or burnt the onions or something as well. So that was the last time I feel like I was in the bad book. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you you got to get that stuff right, man. Uh, yeah, caramelized yeah. onions when done right are just absolutely fabulous. <laughs> so, uh, how long have you been uh, vegan? Is this a uh, lifelong been, thing or? Yeah, it's been about just over a year. So it was last, literally a year, like last December when I first first started doing it. I was curious about it last September. and I did a month in September, but then I do think that people need a little bit of a transitional phase if they are going to try and go to a plant-based diet. And then, uh, yeah, I kind of transitioned, stopped eating meat completely after September, then cut out uh, fish and then cut out eggs and things like that, poultry stuff like last. And, and yeah, no, I've, I've been my training. I train CrossFit. I and I do a lot of functional fitness style stuff, and I ain't noticed really any difference. I think it's it's just a matter of having that support network around me. And my girlfriend, who's very good at cooking vegan food, is is also very helpful as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So what what uh, what prompted the switch then? Was it for ethical reasons, for health reasons, a mixture of both? Um. So my my girlfriend has rheumatoid arthritis, so that's how she okay. started with it, and and she wanted to do it for the health reasons, and then. Uh, for me, I started looking into it a little bit more, saw some of the health benefits, and then uh, realistically saw the effect that it has on the environment. So that were a big thing for me and the environmental effect. And then learning more about how animals are treated and all the animal rights around it and stuff, that led to th- further down the line. But the main prompt for me was actually doing my bit for the environment and uh, keeping my carbon footprint as small as I could. 
Fantastic. Yeah. So we're going to dive into your story here. We're going to, we're going to rewind the clock a little bit here um, because you, you've been on an interesting journey in particular, sort of the last, the last 10 years or so. And uh, it was, it was when you got like a pretty harsh rejection from, from a girlfriend that you had at the time that led you down a really, really difficult path. Um, you were, you were 18 at the time and uh, you said it led you, uh, maybe it led you into some binge eating as well as into the world of bodybuilding. Were those, were those two things happening simultaneously or? Yeah, well, this is, this is a big part of the story. Yeah, the the binge eating it was it was happening, but it wasn't the recognition. So I didn't have any recognition of what I was doing at the time. It was after the bodybuilding that I started putting two and two together and was actually like accepting the fact that it's like okay, the binge eating, the eating disorder around this is interlinked, and I need to do more of the mental work around my relationship with food to then sort out the physical aspects of what happens and. In my sense, this is something that I teach a lot now. It's like your body becomes a byproduct of your relationship with your body and with your food. And that's that's kind of the point of what um, what I teach. But that's from the learnings of what happened throughout my story that we're going to dive into today. Yeah. And so can you recall, when was the first time that you you became aware that, like, I have a problem here? And what what, what kind of tipped you off? It was the the day after I, ste- I stepped off stage for my bodybuilding competition. Um, I ate ten thousand calories, which is not an easy <laughs> feat to do. Um, yeah. But yeah, when I came off when I came off stage, and it was like it was the fact that I felt sick. I was so full, but I just kept eating. And it was the fact that I'd yo-yoed throughout my time, um, going from uh, again when we we go back to it, going from when I was around eighteen years old, being overweight to losing weight, going to university, then drinking, putting weight on, losing weight again, putting weight on, losing weight and going like that yo-yo, that site, that constant like loop of losing weight and putting it on and um, not actually dealing with what was causing the issue, which I say was like the mental side of it more. And it was the day after the bodybuilding competition. Obviously, I've just gone through a prep of over 20 weeks of restricted dieting, uh, getting down to a point of where realistically i was eating stupidly lower amount of calories for what my body is because uh, the coach side at the time wasn't particularly the best and um yeah then then that led to me being on stage being depleted at, like really depleted and then the next day like having almost like bin- binging urges towards the end of prep but i never really kind of gave into it and then after the competition kind of all came at once the ten thousand calories came in one go and it was at the end of that day, in that day, I were like, I hadn't fixed this yet. I thought that this competition, I thought that this was the way of like fixing my relationship with food, but it was actually the opposite. And um, yeah, it was, it's like even you look your best, but you feel your worst at the same time sometimes. And it was really, that was the point of being like, okay, the mental health around my food and my relationship with my myself, exercise and food really needs to do some work so my body can be the byproduct of that. Yeah, and is it fair to say that you you got into the world of bodybuilding uh, to try to overcome some insecurities that you developed from getting like kind of like that painful rejection, or what led you down this this world of bodybuilding? Yeah, so um, there was a point basically where I'd had enough. Like I always put this like people have like transformational pictures of like two the before and after. I put three photos together. I put my before, which this is this date that I'll go into in a second. I have my on stage competition, and then I have my like this year kind of where I'm at right now. And the big thing about it is 
I went to university. I played uh, rugby at university. It was very lads, 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 drinking, drinking, drinking kind of culture. And I drank a lot. And there's this picture of me with my top off. I'm about five stone overweight at this point, and I'm holding a bottle of wine. What we used to do is put a straw in a bottle of wine and just drink the full bottle. And like, that was <laughs> a thing that we'd do regularly, like before we went out on a night out. And um, it's like, looking back now, it's like, it's horrifying. <laughs> like, it's, it's not anything to try and impress anyone. It was horrifying. But th- that's the moment. There's a moment when I'm doing that and there's a picture of me and you just can like see it. It's like, why the hell am I doing this? Like, this is way yeah. too much. And yeah, that's that's the point that was the one point where i'm like things need to change and that started an 18 month cycle of where uh, i lose weight i'd go to the gym my diet my exercise on point at first this were all going great and then i decided that i'm going to do the bodybuilding competition to like round off this weight loss transformation of losing five stone going from this overweight bartender to this bodybuilder and it was it was the last 20 weeks, like I say, the real prep for the competition that really took it out of me. And that was the bit that kind of the binging tendencies started to come back and whatnot because I'd exerted myself so much and I restricted myself so much that it led to um, realizing that, okay, I haven't kicked this thing yet. I need to keep keep working on my relationship with it. Yeah, so prior, prior to getting to bodybuilding, um, when you are trying to deal with, with binging, what what – had you employed or what sort of strategies or tactics like so prior to that you'd kind of become aware that okay binge eating is is an issue that i have and um for you it was you know leading you to necessarily being overweight and maybe there was also binge consuming of alcohol so really there's a pattern of behavior around overconsumption as yeah. a form of, of escapism we could say um what had you tried prior to getting into bodybuilding to to break from that pattern yeah so well i think where this actually starts is it it goes like back to like even being younger or like teenage years and stuff like that, because my mum and dad is like, as much as I love them, it's like, I think this is kind of like, this is common. This it's that, um, when you're younger and you said, here's your tea, make sure you eat all your tea before you have dessert kind of thing is like, you almost told to overeat and then you're rewarded for overeating with more food. Yeah, And I think that this kind of comes down as like, it's quite systemic as obviously when it was food stamps in like world war times and whatnot, then people didn't actually know when the next meal was going to come. And then this has passed on to generation where they've said the same thing to their kids, which has then been said to the same thing to their kids. And it's like, now we have food in abundance that actually, if you're full, you shouldn't be said, oh, eat all that. Are you not getting any ice cream? So the fact that that people are rewarded for overeating, I believe is like as a kid, you're rewarded for overeating will lead to these binge binge eating tendencies. And also because you're male, (laughs) you just don't, people don't talk about kind of eating disorders and things like that. So like I say, as much as I love my mum and dad and I don't think they did anything wrong with my upbringing, that is something that was just kind of a systemic thing that I think a lot of people do. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I think that was some of the cues that started to kind of lead towards actually I'm feeling sad. How do I reward myself? Well, I know what I get rewarded for. I get rewarded by eating more. Yeah. And I think that that's a really interesting point because maybe many of us who are are younger and you're, you're about a decade younger than I am, but we look back at sort of 
um, especially those of us who are keenly interested in behavioral psychology. And we look back sort of our developing years and, and see how our relationship was with food was influenced by our parents' relationship with food. And that was influenced by their grand, you know, our, our grandparents' relationship with food. And, and you're right. It kind of goes back to food was, was something, uh, you know, that was, was scarce. It's, we don't remember what it's like to have a famine because I don't think any of us in a first world country have ever actually really experienced that. But I like to say that we have a, a famine biology, but we live in a feast world now. Mm. And our famine biology, in one sense, is really marvelous because it's the whole reason human beings are still alive on the planet. Our ability to store fat and use it in times of food scarcity. It, it's also kind of hardwired into us to um, seek out calorie-dense foods and eat them and try to store fat. And literally, when we're trying to do the opposite of that, we're, we're fighting against sort of what is also our natural biology just to sort of further complicate the issue here and then and then you throw in sort of the the mental health struggles as well and you, know, you touched on something i think that's really important and i think that's the fact that that men w w rarely talk about this you know i think mm. i think we're getting to a place where it's talked about a little bit more but uh, it, it's still extremely rare yeah and so yeah mm. go ahead i think men's mental health in general is not talked about enough <laughs> but especially around food because obviously we know that like your food is your mood. The food you eat is going to affect what you, how your psychology works, how your brain's working, and that's going to affect your your mental health. Like everyone, like not everyone knows, but a lot of people know that it's like your gut microbiome speaks to your brain a lot. So it's like the foods that you consume do affect your mood. And I think yeah. I think it reverses the other way around, and then your mood affects what foods you want to eat as well. So it's yeah. it it's like a crazy cycle of that people having the awareness and the knowledge around it to empower themselves a little bit more with it. I think is so important and it's good that it's been talked about more, but I still don't think it's been talked about enough. No, not, not nearly enough. And so how, how did you start to deal with mental health around food and in particular your mental health around food? And, um, you know, how, how did you get into that and sort of become okay with the fact that, Hey, I need to deal with this problem that generally men are, are conditioned to hide. Yeah. So the big thing for me was it's saying it's okay. Like, accepting that what has happened because often we end up as soon as something like a binge happens and you you go through it you have a night where you do binge this becomes the start of a cycle the cycle is it starts by you've binged so you lead yourself into becoming a bit overwhelmed with the situation the overwhelmed leads to procrastination on your goals mm -hmm. so it may stop you from going to the gym the next day the st that stopping yourself going to the gym the next day is then going to lead to self-loathing and you're beating yourself up. And then that's going to potentially lead to another binge because how do I make myself feel better or how do I comfort my emotions when I'm feeling down is I go back to the binging. So if we can break this cycle in the early phases by going, you know what, it's okay. What I'm going to do now is I'm going to just be 1% better. That's this is This is like my favorite thing. It's the 1% rule that yeah it's, it's not about being on your a game <laughs> basically all the time but it's yeah. about it's about being like literally trying your best to be one percent better every single day not being the perfect you all the time because perfect doesn't exist and if we strive yeah. for perfection and like if you want to start a journey right now of like weight loss or whatever it may be if you go okay tomorrow i'm gonna wake up i'm gonna eat this foods i'm gonna be doing this meditation i'm going to go to the gym and do this workout and whatever it's going to become overwhelming because it's too much in one go and it needs yeah. to be 
rather than a lot of people preaching like the six week fix or get your holiday body in a month's time, whatever these kind of things where it's super restrictive and it's super like you can do it, like you can lose weight fast, but it's super restrictive and it's going to be poor for your mental health and your relationship with exercise and food when it comes to it. So it's like I say to people, it's like, I don't care about what you look like for this holiday. I care what you look like for every holiday after that. I want yeah. to, I want to sort it out so it's like your relationship's good with yourself, with your own body, with your appearance in the mirror, with your relationship with food, your relationship with exercise. So you enjoy all of them things and then you're going to just enjoy the process about where you're at. Your body becomes the byproduct and it all comes to the 1% rule and breaking that habit loop of the overwhelm, procrastination, self-loving, overwhelm, procrastination, mm-hmm. self-loving kind of loop. And I think the first, maybe the first thing before that, or what I often talk about is compassionate awareness. And so in, in order to change a behavior, we first have to be consciously aware that this behavior exists because um, what we also, I, I believe we also miss is that these behaviors often happen uh, coming from a subconscious or an unconscious place in the brain. Mm-hmm. And so cultivating that awareness, which can be a really difficult thing to do because when we start to become aware of our behaviors, we're, we're basically shining a light on our flaws, the things that we're doing that are, that are, that are potentially hurting us. And that can be a very, very uncomfortable place. And maybe this is why there's uh, not, maybe I'm a coach. I know this, this is why there's incredible value in working with a professional, like who, who is not, not just qualified because qualified, uh, I think sometimes is, is not necessarily the only attribute you should be looking for in a coach. Not you know, both of us are, but really somebody who understands the experience you're going through and can see it instead of see it through this lens of, of, you know, cause you, you probably found like in the, in the world of bodybuilding, for example, it's like, you know, just, just push harder, just, you know, grind yeah. harder, hustle harder, that kind of thing. Like suck it up. It's tough. That's why you're doing this and so on. And there isn't necessarily a lot of uh, compassion in that world or in that environment. And so th- there isn't really a lot of space given for, to understand like, what is your emotional and, and sort of mental experience right now in this situation? So what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, no, I, I agree completely. Like I worked like my background's physiotherapy. Um yep. so it's like the biomechanics of the body, the way the body moves is my forte. So I know that the way that bodybuilders just load up the heaviest weights possible and try and move it is not the most efficient and it's just gonna cause more injury and over time rather than um rather than actually helping them with the muscle development. But it's like the way that you're talking about it is the fact that so many people do that and so many people kind of you say the don't break down the emotional side of things that's going on it's something that i was really shocked about and that i openly spoke about on my like social media and stuff after i competed was like i feel like crap like i really yeah. feel like like in like my my mindset my mental health is i all i feel like i feel horrible like i expected i mean they always say this about kind of your competition high people expect to be on such a high after a competition like the Olympic high and stuff like that. And people end up like falling into a, like a bit more of a depression and stuff afterwards. So like mine was 20 weeks of prep, never mind four years for like an Olympic athlete. But, but the way that bodybuilding itself is taught, like it's taught, yes, this is meant to be really, really difficult. This is, you meant to feel like crap. And it's like, I'm not having to go at any bodybuilders here, but it's like, why do you want to put yourself through that much kind of pain for it for, um for for a lot of people like you're paying for it it's not like your job 
like you got like the, obviously the top few percentile that go into the Olympia are actually sponsored athletes and making a lot of money from it. But if that's not it, then it's like, okay, you can be proving it to yourself and you can prove to yourself that you can do it. But realistically, it's um, like you, you're just causing yourself probably more damage around your mental health, really. Yeah, it's, it's uh, I mean, orthorexia, which is, uh, yeah, and body dysmorphia, both of those things are incredibly common issues in, in the world of, of bodybuilding, whether it's a, you know, extreme relationship with food or a very disordered relationship with, with uh, body and body image. And um, again, I think this it's definitely been spotlighted a lot more with females and their struggles. Um, it's, it's still very much in its infancy coming to the forefront in terms of men and talking about body image issues with men. And, uh, because again, it goes back to this, that we've been, we've been sort of set up to push these things down and ignore them and just suck it up and be a man and so on and so forth. And these things aren't really helping us move forward because, you know, part of being human is having emotions. So this whole, this, this entire concept of like having emotions and feelings make you weak or make you do and so on is, is built in this flawed idea because it's emotions that make us human and distinguish us from just being mindless robots. Yeah, no, I, I couldn't agree more. And it's like, I have this saying that um, showing true strength is vulnerability times resilience. So a lot of the time people think strength, like, if you show any vulnerability that that is weakness and I flip that on its head, I think it's the opposite. I think that uh, true strength showing true strength is vulnerability times resilience. So yes, everybody gets hit in life. Everybody gets blows, has to deal with some form of adversity. Everybody goes through these things that shows your resilience, but then your vulnerability to talk about it and to actually maybe turn your mess into a message and to help other people about it is where true strength really lies. So yeah, and I think like often, like you say, it's mistaken. People see showing emotion and talking about your emotions as weakness, and especially in the male culture. And that's something that's got to change because it's just wrong. Yeah. You know, I find myself, I say I'm still in the infancy in my own sort of journey in this process, but um, like learning more and more about positive masculinity, because I think a lot of times that we hear the word masculinity, we hear the word toxic attached to it. And very rarely do we hear the word positive attached to it. And I think one of the solutions that's often offered and why it gets rejected is it's like, well, you just need to be more feminine. And I think, well, that's, we, we could say, okay, maybe there's an element of truth to that. But the reality is, um, you know, there's a lot of positive things about masculine. It's just about, about actually yeah. understanding what those are. Like I grew up a child of the eighties. And so say my, my, my options were Homer Simpson and Rambo, like a, a fat, lovable doofus that was a threat to nobody. And uh, because he was a doofus, you know, people liked him. So it was teaching you to behave like that if you wanted to be liked. Or you have to be this hyper-masculine superhero, which is, you know, and there's kind of no no in-between. And so no yeah, wonder yeah. we kind of get so, set up for, if that was the you know, the ideals of masculinity that were shown, like mm. no wonder we don't really know how to be, you know, positive masculine. And yeah. so then because of it, you know, and I think we could also say that like, you know, females often end up on the recipient of uh, toxic male behavior. And so because of that, they feel like, well, the answer must be to get men to behave more like women. And I don't think that's the, the answer, but I'd be yeah, curious what yeah. your thoughts are on that. No, I think, I think everything you said there is, is, is very true. And like my, my takeaway from it is that we're, like take gender out of it it's just human like you just you're processing your emotion or you're showing your emotion as you said before humans are designed to have emotions 
So it's just lose lose the gender completely. No one's been more masculine or no one's been more feminine. We've just been human and we're processing the emotions and we're talking about the emotions in the in the way that they come because everybody has them. Whether you talk about them and talk about them or whether you bottle them up and you don't talk about them. Like there. the whole saying around a problem ha- a problem shared is a problem halved, I think is so true. And like I can't tell anybody that I've opened a space for if they're having a, a time where they feel like they're going through a challenging period. Um, and I've said to them, just let's just talk it out. Like, no, I'm not going to fix. I'm not going to do anything. Just talk it out. Just get it off your chest. And just doing that for people and, and opening up and talking about it. Is that feminine? Does that make it feminine? Just because you're talking about your emotions a little bit? It, that's, yeah. For me, it makes for it me, human. The, the attachment to the emotion that people are giving it, which is the issue, the attachment to the gender, sorry, about mm-hmm. the emotion. Which I just—it's just with people. At the end of the day, doesn't matter what gender it is. Yeah, I mean, I, I a lot of my messages rooted in compassion, and I really I still f- find myself spending a lot of time defining compassion for people because I think even I misunderstood it when it was first shown to me. Um, I I saw compassion to be weakness and enabling, and neither of those things are true. But really, the ability to be present with somebody in their in the experience of their human struggle. And there's no judgment, but we're not enabling unhelpful behaviors. We're just actually being present and showing understanding and empathy towards the situation. And, um, you know, you, you touched on something else because both of us are, are coaches and work with people. And that is that um, we, we, I think sometimes when somebody is offering us a listening ear, we want them to solve the problem for us. But you don't leave that situation um, equipped, changed, or or bettered, and it's like I believe that we already have the tools within ourselves to to do this. And the role of a coach or a facilitator in a situation like this isn't to solve your problem, but it's rather to show you that you have the ability to solve the problem, to equip you with the tools to solve the problem, and so that you now become an empowered individual rather than a dependent individual. Mm. Yeah, I think that it's a big thing. It's the fact that um, obviously people are paying for your expertise a lot of the time when they're working with you. So there, Absolutely. Is ele- there, is, there are going to be elements where you do fix or you do give advice because that's what people are paying for. But when you take the approach of I'm looking at this person holistically, I'm looking at your mental health, I'm looking at your physical health, I'm looking at your internal health, your emotional health. and Because I want to get the best result for you at the end of the day. Whether you what you say to me is that you want a six pack, what you might actually want is I want to look in the mirror and be happy with my reflection. So these two things are completely different things. So it's like yeah. you need to you need to ask the right questions to get to the the right answers basically. But the right an- the right answers are the ones that the person comes up with themselves. They're never going to be the ones that you can tell the person. Yeah. So it's this is why I think therapists in a sense they never give suggestions they just ask good questions because they help you get to the bottom of your own issues like um and i think that that's a big a big part of it unless say if I'm, someone's come to me and goes my shoulder hurts well i'm gonna go well you need to do this this and this because i'm fixing it but if someone yes. goes my shoulder's been my shoulder's been bad for a hell of a long time um it, i've done these exercises before i've done this before i've tried these treatments i'll be like okay i'll Right, we're going to look at your lifestyle a little bit more. Then we're going to dive a little bit into this, and that's not. I don't know the answers to any of these things. Yeah, it's like if I go, oh, you've been working in an office for the last twenty-five years, and it's a really high-stress environment, and you're really uptight all the time. Okay, well, maybe that might be affecting your shoulder. Have you ever thought about that? And it's like right. I'm not yeah. fixing, but I'm making the person think about what the answer might be, and then you work a little bit more on fixing the issue. Like I say. 
sometimes it is as simple as you get some exercises and you get fixed when it comes to physio. There's, sure, there's a, yeah. lot of the, a lot of other times there where you need to work on the emotional and the holistic approach of it all and the, the lifestyle and what's going on in the, the real world to then go, okay, this is part of it. This is probably the main part of it. Let's do some stuff to work with that, but we need to keep sh- keep on top of all this other stuff as well. Yeah, and and you know, I'm I'm working on a project that we've just recently kind of brought to light that we're we're calling the Deep Health Academy, and this, this is something that we're we're taking in. And I say we because I have a, a few other coaches that we're we're coming together with this collaboration. And the idea is, you know, the, kind of the picture I have in my head. It wouldn't make a great logo, but it's actually you know one of those connect the dot drawings. But it's, it's drawing an outline of a person and it's like connecting the dots to make a person whole because the way that we've even approached treatment uh, of issues for people in, you know, for, for such a long time has been like, you know, to a nephrologist, you're a kidney, to a cardiologist, you're a heart, to, you know, a, a neurologist, you're a brain. And, and everything is, is you're treated as like this independent unit over here, or this independent part over here and so on. And very rarely do you get communication between professionals and more than that, very rarely do you get empowered to be anything more than a passive observer waiting for a diagnosis. And we want to empower people to become an active participant who is not only not just trying to avoid a diagnosis, but actually coming to the place where they're living really, as cliche as it sounds, their best life, their healthiest life, whatever that might look like for the individual. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. And I think that that's, that's great because my business, A Game Consultancy, is about something that's very similar to that as well it's like there's my, there's there's three of us we're all called adam which is quite crazy <laughs> in itself. yeah yeah uh, we have myself i cover physical health i'm a personal trainer and physio there's a nutritionist who covers the internal health aspect of things and then there's uh, a mindset coach a uh, life coach who covers a lot more of the mental health side of it and like nlp qualified and things like that so it's yeah. It is looking at someone holistically, like you're saying, connecting all them dots and giving that overall holistic approach to, to health. And it not being like seeing someone that goes, oh, what did that person say? Oh, what, what did they do for that? Because it's all under one roof and like all our notes from one system and everything like that. It's like it is holistic, like you get in a service where everything works together. And I think that 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 is where things are needed rather than it being, oh, you need to go to this department. You need to go do that. You need to go see this person. It's like when it does come into one roof, under one roof, and it comes into one place, like what you're saying there, I think people can see a lot of benefit from that because they, they need that holistic approach to the health. They need to know that everybody knows what's going on with the different parts of it. Yeah. And would, would you say that you've come to this place because of your own experience of seeking for help and not necessarily finding the help that you needed? And so because of that, you decided uh, th- there's a problem here that needs to be solved. And I'm going to create a solution for it. Yeah, so um, in twenty in twenty twenty, so only going back a couple of years, like with the lockdown, it really affected me um, on a lot of different levels. Obviously, I worked privately as a physio at this point. I didn't have my online business that I have now, so it's like I worked privately as a physio. So I was just done, like because I'm self-employed as well. We right? Very, yeah, we got very little support from the government in that in that sense there as well. So I got. Real, and like it put me in a bit of like a, a dark place to say and like I was struggling yeah. with financial financial situations I was um like trying to manage emotions around it like COVID like the COVID time and everything took a few family members from me and stuff as well so there are a lot of 
like different things going on at this time. So I reached out for help with my business partner now who was doing the the life coaching thing and the mindset coaching. And he really helped me understand some of the the re re rewiring. Don't really like using that saying, but it's like the um yeah. like kind of the the work within my, my mind and understanding myself a little bit more. And then from that I realized how much I actually do this in my own practice of physio when I'm working with patients and like I say, taking that holistic approach to solve the problems. And I thought, actually, then he reached out to me um and said do you want to do something together? I know another guy, he happens to be called Adam as well. He works in nutrition. Um, do you want to do something and do you want to work together with it? And I thought I were like, this is, this is, there's a gap here. This, this isn't done yeah. yet. Like this isn't yeah. a thing that people are thinking about doing combined in the three in one place, uh, like the three areas of health. And I were like, yes, let's do it. Let's go. And uh, obviously we started in the middle of a pandemic. So we went more towards the online basis of everything. And yeah. it, it's, it's been working really well over the last kind of year that we've, we've kind of been working together in a sense. And, and yeah, I just think that it's so positive when you can combine these three areas together. And yeah, he, he helped me massively throughout my, throughout my own personal development journey with it yeah. as well. And that's awesome. It's, especially when you've had the, you've had the experience of working with someone that, you know, you know, partner with, um, in our, in our little umbrella of the deep health Academy, you know, we have a gut health, uh, specialist, a movement specialist. And then I tend to focus on the behavioral psychology element of it as well as, as the nutrition. Yeah. And we have a few others in the wings right now, but we, we kind of want, want to get this established before we start bringing more people in. But we have a neurologist and a pharmacist in the wings potentially as well. And so we're, we're really wanting to reshape kind of how we view healthcare as a whole and how, how the average person views healthcare as well as, a, you know, like I'm just going to live my life. And when I break, I go to this, this system over here that somehow fixes me. And it's like, well, clearly that model is broken. We yeah. have a, you know, and, and, I live in Canada, thankfully, and, you know, we have a pretty decent socialized healthcare system. Uh, south of the border, they have a for-profit sickness system. <laughs> and, uh, that's, you know, it's an even even bigger problem down there. Um, but it, it's this ability to get treated as, as a whole person and go, this is connected to this, you know, and, and actually, yeah, connecting the dots and, and then making people aware that, like, this this piece is connected to this piece. And would you say that there's any any one element of the puzzle that's most important? Or if somebody comes to you, what do you start working with them on first? It's it's always the, it's always the figuring out what someone actually wants because what they say they want yeah. is one thing, but what they need is another thing. Yeah. And this is this is this is massive and people may say it's like marketing or whatever, but it's sell them what they want and then give them what they need. Because yeah. you need to get people obviously through the door and to build trust in you. And you often build trust with someone because you're telling them that you're going to give them what they want. But when you get down to it and you actually have the conversation with them, what they want isn't what they actually want. And you need to figure out what it is that they actually need. So um, yeah. often what it is that people want the six pack, they want to get ready for the holiday. They want to uh, improve the relationship with food, but what they actually need is they need time to work on the mindset and the relationship with themselves, the relationship with food, the relationship with exercises. And often that we find a lot of the time with our, our clients and what they talk about when they've gone through a, a session with our program is they go, I didn't realize how much I needed that element of it. Yeah. But, coming out of it, I realized that that was one of the biggest things that I could take away from it. 
And it's like, yeah. that's exactly it. Your body becomes the byproducts of your habits and routines that you form because of your improvement in your mindset. Absolutely. I think it, it's that, that um, you know, there's a spectrum of like, con- you go from unconscious incompetence, you know, to, you know, conscious incompetence and so on. And ultimately the goal is to get to conscious competence uh, and, and mastery. But it's like w- when I, when I finally hired the coach that kind of helped me break the cycle, it was it was him teaching me and sharing with me things that I didn't know I needed because I was still stuck in this idea that well I just if if I can look a certain way I'll be happy if I can lose the weight I'll be happy if you know and uh, it was it was he asked me a question I said that changed my life when he said if you make a list of all the things you love and value how far down the list do I go before I see your name yeah and you know that one there was uh, you know for me I said that was a life changing question because it was timed at the right time it was. Um, because all of a sudden he shone a light on the fact that it not only was it, it wasn't that I was at the bottom of the list. It was, I wasn't on the list altogether. And so now I had to start down this path of what does it even look like to learn how to love myself, to, to care for myself, to, you know, and then to not feel guilty about doing these things. Yeah. That's it. A hundred percent. Like the self love and actually acknowledging and being grateful for yourself is so important. And I think often a very, very easy mindset shift and language shift that, um, I love which tends to help a lot of my clients pretty much straight away is that if you change the word have to get you're gonna change your life forever so it's like you have to eat healthy no you get to eat healthy if you yeah. if you have to exercise no no you get to exercise you're able-bodied and you get to exercise like be grateful for the fact that you get to exercise and if you can get someone living in the the gratitude for the daily things that they often ignored, yeah. that is so powerful in itself. And it starts that cycle of loving not only yourself, but loving the actions that you're doing because you get yeah. to do them. You don't have to do them. And it's, Love it's a very, yeah. very simple mindset shift and language shift. Yeah, I really try to make people aware of their own language because we very we we rarely think reflectively about the words that we say. But you know, for example, I listen for when people say things like "I'm starving," and uh, you know, no, you're not. And it's not. I'm not saying that to be callous, but I'm saying let's recognize what's triggered in your brain and body when you say "I'm starving." And you believe that to be true, you know, and so on. And and I, yeah, I, I try to explain. And, and I love this, the, the, the have to get thing, but gratitude rewires your brain to be happy and, and, and the science has proven it. And it's possible. It doesn't mean that your life is perfect. It doesn't mean that everything is going exactly as it should be going, but it's our, our brains are hardwired to see, uh, seek out negativity and threats. Um, that's the way that our primal brain works, but we, we can disrupt that cycle of hunting for negativity and threats because our environment, our, our mental and emotional environment has been hijacked by digital media. They, they literally hijacked this response in us mm-hmm. to hunt for negativity and threats. So we now have to consciously practice gratitude to try to interrupt that. And in doing that, we, we end up becoming happier overall. Yeah, that, that's 100%. It's like gratitude is one of the is one of the biggest things and it's not like a lot of people see it as like sitting in the mirror and going I'm grateful for this I'm grateful for yeah, that yeah. like it's it's so not that it's just being yeah. aware of the actions that you're doing day to day and yeah. actually giving yourself some some gratitude around them it's like like if I if I think back to a year ago and I said that um I'd have left the job that I was in now and my self-employed business would be doing my business that I've set up with the other Adams now will be doing well enough that I can do it full time I'd have laughed at you I'd have been like that's not going to happen 
but that's happened in the last year. So I'm so grateful <laughs> for the fact that this has happened. And I'm so grateful for the other guys that have built the business with me and have supported me with it. And yes, I'm not a millionaire. I'm not like well off. I've, I've just started a business. You're not taking that much money. when yeah, you're doing yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like, I'm so grateful for where I'm actually yeah. at right now. And it, it's not the, like you say, it's not massively down the line where you, where people think that like the, the Lamborghini and the watches and whatnot are going to get you gratitude. But if you've got yeah. gratitude for where you're at right now, then I think that's really, really yeah. powerful. And it's something that it shouldn't be overlooked. Um, another, another language shift actually that one of my clients does all the time is he goes, um, it, a part of me thinks this, I'm like, which part, which part of you thinks that <laughs> it's yeah. like, it's like, you either all of you thinks it or none of you thinks it. It's not just a little bit of you that thinks it. So it's yeah. sometimes people like, oh, but a part of me really wants to uh, like eat a takeaway. It's like, well, which part are you like? Because all of you does or, or none of you does. Like, it's not only a little bit of you. You need to make that decision and that choice. Yeah. And yeah. ask yourself, is it gonna is it gonna lead you towards your goals? <laughs> it's funny when when I think about when someone says. Uh, you know, this, this food was calling to me or it was calling my name. Yeah. And I, I, I like to ask, well, what was it promising you? Yeah. Because the, the, if it's calling your name, it's promising something to you, you know, that if you eat me, if you consume me, if you engage in this, this is what you will get from it, you know, and here's the problem it will solve. And so getting people aware of like one layer deeper. And I think yeah. that's kind of what you're doing as well. This whole, like a, a part of me wants to do this. Well, uh, really, I think that's just like a fear of commitment. Yeah, it, you yeah. know, it being expressed in, in, in a different way. And so helping people unlock that. So, mm. um, and, and I love oh, your take on, yeah, I, lo- I love your take on gratitude. I think that's a, that's a really good way of expressing it. And that's why I love having conversations like this. You know, I, I think we're, we're very much aligned in what we're doing, but we, we, we have a different way of expressing things. And, and so I leave a conversation like this more enlightened than when I, when I started, which I think is absolutely fantastic. Mm. No, I think that yeah. I, I agree massively. I think that that's, that's the important thing though, is that the way that, this is why I'm so so forward about kind of sharing my story, sharing my experience and how I've kind of developed myself around it because one person may resonate with the way I say it more than the way that you say it and then vice versa, someone else may resonate more with you the way that you say it. And I know that like our stories are reasonably similar in the fact that we've got issues with binge eating and then we lost a lot of weight over a long, over the period of uh, a period of time and whatnot. And it's, You've, you, it's always the the mental side that you neglect and you don't think about and it's breaking the cycle with the mental side which then lets yeah. your body let's say your body be the byproduct yeah i love it i i talk about brain-driven weight loss and really acknowledging it's everything from our from our habits you know james clear talks about we don't rise to the level of aspirations we fall to the level of our habits and systems and that's just an acknowledgement of how our brain works you know we look at our psychology our mindset our beliefs our sense of identity um, the emotions the environment that we live in all of these things affect our decisions and very often they do so unconsciously and so I go back to making creating conscious awareness around why we do what we do is like the first step to really genuinely creating change and transformation in their lives. One thing I was kind of curious about, because uh, people will often see where you're at, how far you've come, the growth that's happened to you. What's something that you still struggle with? Um, I, I still struggle with with the binge, like binge eating, not necessarily actually binging, but the like the cues and the habits and the mm. thinking about it and um like they go into that place and it's it's still a lot of like because you it's you versus you at the end of the day like I, I don't <laughs> yeah. even like that saying it's not you versus you it's you with you it's yeah. like 
Um, because you can go into, I think when you start arguing with yourself, you lead yourself down down a road of like self-loathing, but rather than supporting yourself along it. Um, there's a great book called The Untethered Soul uh, by Michael A. Singer. And he talks about the language that we use with ourselves. And it says, rather than talking to yourself like you do, because if you talk to other people the way that you talk to yourself, you'd have no friends. And yes, yeah. <laughs> it says that if you talk to yourself like the, the internal voice, your internal monologue, if you talk to that like it's another roommate and another person, because it's another person, you'll start to treat it with more respect. And because you're treating that voice with more respect, that's going to treat you back with more respect. And this is a big shift that I've taken so that, I have a conversation with myself around, well, is this going to serve you right now? Like, honestly, like, as a point of view, let's weigh it up, pros and cons. Is having this full bag of crisps right now, this family-sized share bag of crisps, going to serve you right now? <laughs> yeah. Is is drinking this alcohol going to serve you right now? And actually having a conversation rather than not, like, no, you idiot. Why Why would that help you? Shut up. Come yeah, on. Yeah. It's, it's like actually having the conversation and going like, no, it, it probably won't, to be honest. Like, my goal's this. I've got this competition coming up. I want to work out and do this. Like, is that going to serve you? And sometimes, obviously, the conversation goes the other way and you have to go a little bit deeper into it. But sometimes it's just, like, the surface-level stuff. So I don't think it's one of them things like with binge eating. I don't think you, you cure it. I think that you'd better manage it over time. Yeah. And yeah. I think that when, when you accept that, that's a big thing. And know that it's like... It's like, I often say to people, it's like, if I was lactose intolerant, I wouldn't drink milk ever. So it's like, if I've got a, a, men, like a mental condition, which is like made me dealing with binge eating and things like that, then I have to do these certain things regardless, because this is just the way I am. So my yeah. story and the way that I do it is going to be different to the way somebody else does it. And it's that taking ownership of your own story in a sense. And your own yeah. language with yourself, which I think is really important because a lot of people do think that, oh, well, so-and-so does it like that. Oh, well, the the rock eats 10 pancakes on the morning, so why can't I? Kind of <laughs> yeah. thing. It's like, well, yeah. that, it's not. that's just not the way that your body's going to work. Like, You need to understand your yeah. body and learn about your body and empower yourself to take ownership of that journey. Yeah, I love that. And I, I think you said it well, just in terms of speaking about – and I asked that question deliberately because, I mean, I still have these urges and impulses in my head. I, I went through trauma and that, that I think forever alters like the brain. And so I still have these, these urges and these impulses that, that reside in my brain, but I say navigate them differently. And I think it's important that we make people aware that, you know what, um, just because maybe this is what we do for a living, just because we come a long way down a path you might want to go down doesn't mean that at the end of the road that there's, there's, there's perfection where life is bliss and there's no struggle. It's that we navigate the struggle differently and it's a part of being human. And it's like one part of me would like to not have that, that issue here. I'm talking about parts of me, but <laughs> now, now you got me thinking about this, but you know, on, on the, or maybe it's better expressed on the one hand, I think, well, I wish I, part of me says, I wish I didn't have that issue. But then on the other hand, I go, well, you know, if I didn't have this struggle, I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing. And so interestingly or paradoxically becoming grateful for the struggles that I have, because it actually keeps me connected to the people that I'm trying to help because I'm like, this is still my lived experience. And I think that's a really important element of, of the work that we do. Yeah, hundred percent. And it's like I said before, it's like you, you turn your mess into a message 
Like I, I believe that the people that are the best coaches are people that have had the experience. It's not just education. It's like yeah. when people say it's like you you really truly learn to drive once you pass your driving test. It's like yeah. it's like that. It's you need to have, have had some form of experience to understand. It's like because I I don't know your pain, but I know what pain is. So yeah. I know what this pain kind of feels like. I don't know what yours is because yours is completely unique to you. But I understand whereabouts you're at and I understand where this has been and I know how to get out of it. So it's like my story, the issues I've faced, the problems I've had could be your survival guide. Yeah. It, it could help you along your journey as well. And like, that, yeah, it's that, that's a, that's a big thing for me. It's the, the fact of that I'm not trying to fix anyone or like, it's like, I always like imagine imagine someone going on a, a quest or a mission to slay a dragon. It's not that I'm going to pick you up and carry you there to do it. It's I'm just going to come along the way with you. I'm going to walk with you. I'm going to take you to do it, and you can slay the dragon at the end of it. But yeah. it's, that's the point. It's that someone's just to walk there, going there to walk with you. It's not that I'm going to carry and do it for you kind of thing. Well, I, I express that as uh, I'm your tour guide, not your Sherpa. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that's a really good thing because if if we try to, you know, say if I try to carry your backpack for you, you don't become stronger. If I solve all your problems for you, you haven't gained anything. You haven't grown and transformed as a person and new problems are just going to appear. That's the inevitability of it. And so it's like, I want to equip you and guide you and help you. Yes. But ultimately, if you're going to become a transformed person, you have to go through the process of solving those problems and developing those skills and building those strengths. And it doesn't happen by having me do the work for you, but rather we take the effort that you're going to put into trying to create this change anyways, and we direct it and steer it. So it's the most effective and most efficient and creates the long-term results that you're looking for. Yeah. And that's it. And that's, it's one thing that, one thing that happened to me because throughout my weight loss transformation, obviously like going from bartender to bodybuilder is quite an appealing tagline. And I got, yeah. I got featured in um, like national news papers um, around the UK. And what, obviously I got interviewed for it. They took my information and they took everything and then they condensed it into the way that they wanted it. And they, it's like, it's just kind of what, what society wants versus what is actually needed because yeah. all the headlines were like from um, binge eating to bodybuilding, from shots to shreds, uh, bartender loses weight in six months. It's like, well, no, 18 months, actually. You might put in a, a very unrealistic timescale on this. But it was because yeah. it was the, the 20 weeks of prep that I went through and they jumped on right, that. Yeah. Like going, using using that as the, the point of kind of how quick you lost the weight and stuff. And the they miss out all the other bits of the story, but it's the catchy headline that yeah. people want to see. And that's like, it goes back to that, like selling what you want and giving what you need. It's like, you need the education that that isn't sustainable, but yeah. the, uh, the actual want is what gets people to, to look at you at the end of the you day. Have, you have to get people through the door um, and bring, instead of telling them, Hey, this isn't going to work. You have to guide them to that place of realization themselves when the light bulb goes off and so i i very often say like i meet people at the ground floor and i don't shout at them from the 10th floor um that that's sort of the analogy that i have and it's you know i wish i could say side effects may include weight loss because the real work that we're doing here is a work of transformation but the reality is still most people who come to me come to me for the first reason because they want to lose weight and so it's it's meeting people where they're at and yeah bringing them to that place of realization okay i thought i wanted that 
But now I realize that actually, here's what I really want. And it, it's a completely different thing than, than I thought before. And so, yeah. man, I've really, I've really enjoyed this conversation. You know, you're very insightful. Uh, I love the fact you're willing to share about the, the different challenges you faced and what's led you to what you're doing now. And so, um, what are what are some you know just to kind of tie things together in a pretty little bow here? You know, very rarely can we actually condense things to a couple of sound bites. But if you were to if you were to share one takeaway for people um, from what we've discussed today that would help them maybe move one step forward to be one percent better, what would that be? Well, that, that's exactly it. It's it's looking at the one percent and it's it's planning as well. So uh, I'll just kind of finish up on this as like what we what we like to call in a game the five stages of making lasting change. And stage one is awareness. You need to be aware that there's an issue because obviously yeah. if you're not aware, there's like you're not aware that you've seen yourself in the mirror and you're um you like you, you don't like what you see or your favorite shirt has just popped a button or something like that. You're not aware of what's going on. You need to have that yeah. painful awareness that you need to change. And then we move on to the second point, which is making a decision to actually change. But a decision doesn't mean anything yeah. on its own because there's a riddle around it it's like if there's five frogs on a log then um four of them decide to jump off how many frogs are actually left on the log and the answer is there's still five because not a decision means nothing on its own (laughs) yeah and then you then you go on to like your next point which is you actually need a strategy in place you need to know what you're doing because we've all done diet starts monday and then been like well it's monday i ain't got any food in the fridge what's going on so you need to actually plan it before you start it then yep. point four is accountability. So you need yeah. some form of accountability. So external accountability is better than internal accountability because internal, obviously, you're accountable to yourself, but you are the only person who you can't lie to, but you are also the easiest person that to lie to because yeah. you know the truth, so you can't lie to yourself, but you'll lie to yourself and tell you that yourself that you'll do it later and then you'll never do it kind of thing. So yeah. accountability from an external point of view, whether it's a family member, whether it's a coach, whether it's a work colleague, a friend, whatever, is so much better. And then final point is you've got to take massive imperfect action. Because if you don't take yeah. the action at the end of the day, you're not going to be able to, to do anything. So if you think about them five points, that would be my main takeaway. So it's like it's plan it and then be 1% better and just do the 1% yeah. every single day is my is my main takeaway from that. Absolutely love that. Man, it's been such a pleasure chatting. Thank you so much for your time today. No, thank you for having me on, mate. It's been really good. Thank you so much for tuning in to Between the Before and After. If you've enjoyed this episode, please like, share, subscribe, or leave a review because that helps this podcast to reach and inspire more people. I love exploring the stories that take place between the before and after the powerful experiences that shape who we become. And I love human potential. I love the possibilities that lie within us. So whatever you may be up against, I hope these stories inspire you. Because if you're still here, your story's not done yet. So keep moving forward. Anyone can come from any place of brokenness and destitution and build an amazing life.